It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, our faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. Oh, friend, you are in for a treat this week. Let me tell you, I'm so excited about this week's guest. My guest is Megan Hyatt Miller. She is no stranger to the show. In fact, she was on Business with Purpose back in the summer of 2021. And we both have said that if we lived closer to each other, we would probably be best friends. She is the president and chief executive officer of Full Focus. She is the co-host of the popular business podcast, Lead to Win. She is Michael Hyatt's oldest daughter, and she is a co-author with her dad, Michael, on multiple books, including Win at Work and Succeed at Life, and the author of the new book, Mind Your Mindset. And let me tell you, she is phenomenal. She has so much wisdom. She's hilarious. And this week's episode is going to be one that is going to blow your mind. And when I say pun intended, I mean it. We're talking all about mindset and the things about how the stories we tell ourselves, how how they shape our success and our failures and how we can identify those kind of negative narrative, those negative thought patterns and change the stories that we tell ourselves. We are talking all about our brains this week and oh man, we get into it. This was such a fun conversation and what's really fun is I actually have Michael on next week. So you're getting kind of a two-parter in this, although they're, they're standalone interviews. I did them at different times, but they are the perfect two episodes to come back to back. And I love having these episodes right here at the beginning of 2023, because this is top of mind. Once again, pun intended for so many of you right now, I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. So I'm going to stop talking and get right into it. So without further ado, on to my chat with Megan Hyatt Miller. Okay, this is a big day because we have Megan Hyatt Miller on the show for the second time. Welcome back, friend. How are you? I'm great, Molly. Thank you so much for having me again. Um, I really feel like if we lived close to each other, we would be buds in real life. Yeah, you know? yeah. I really feel like too. We just are just kindred, <laughs> kindred spirits. Um, yep. But it's it's a big day, you know. While you are coming on the show again under the new brand of Can I Laugh yes. on Your Shoulder, which we're I'm just it's this has been so fun to kind of just start off on a new like a just a refreshed foot um mm-hmm. here in 2023 but um it's a big deal for somebody to come on my show twice or multiple times i feel and very honored i'm just saying i'm so you're i mean you're in a a, a crew with like mary morantz and oh. Liz Bohannon and oh. uh, some Sharon Hottie Miller, some really great people. And you know, the Millers, we're good people. So good I'm, people. I'm not surprised. The, good, the Millers <laughs> are good people. And we joke that um, anybody who comes on the show uh, more than once, like I, it gets a, a, it's all imaginary. So this isn't real, but uh, like a velvet jacket. 
Oh, you know, I'm like get on now. If you're listening to me in your car, I just, yeah. I think it might be hot pink. Oh yes. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah. I'm down. It's yeah. customizable. Um, you know, cause like in, in SNL, when somebody hosts five yes. times, they get the five timers club. It's like the velvet jacket. And so that's what, that's what I want is I want my guests who've been on multiple times to have an imaginary velvet jacket. I love it. It fits perfectly. I know. Well, I'm so excited about this and our conversation today because you and your daddy, who's going to be on the show soon in a few weeks, everybody get excited for that, um, just wrote a just an incredible book called Mind Your Mindset, The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. And I mean, not only do I just love you as a human being and think you're awesome and real funny and smart, but I love this topic so much mm-hmm. and often just talk with I'm real fun at parties and I bring up conversations like this with my friends because and what I know about you as well is is you also have the filter of not only you know seeing the world through uh you know the science and all that kind of stuff but through the eyes and the lens of faith and mm-hmm. how those things don't have to be in conflict with one another right. and the more you learn about the way God designed our brains and how we will never, um, in some ways I almost equate the brain to like, to God, like we will never tap into everything our brain is capable of. Like not even, we don't scratch the surface and we will never in this life fully understand, uh, God and, and we're not supposed to. So I'm so excited to talk about mindset. But before we get into that conversation, uh, you got to give us a life update. So you got to give us the Megan (laughs) 201. So what have you been doing since we last chatted? Oh, my goodness. Well, we were talking before uh, you pressed record about how it's kind of that weird time warp of the last few Mm -hmm. years where what day is it? You know, what year is it? (laughs) What's my name? I'm not really sure. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, it you know, it's been a little bit crazy, but it's been a good season. Um, I uh, am the CEO of Full Focus, which is a company that my dad and I own together. And he was formerly the CEO. So we have a family business. And, you know, I got the opportunity to succeed him, which Love has it. been really neat. And we're continuing to be business partners. And he's still involved in the business. And then um, we've been busy writing this book together. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but a lot of this really comes out of our own personal stories, because um, I'm going to tell your listeners a little secret here that I had a debilitating fear of public speaking mm. that I came head to head with several years ago. It's probably been um, five or six years ago now. And that experience of confronting that is really one of the things that caused us to write this book, because we realized that uh, my experience with that, my dad's own experiences, kind of set the stage for us to be able to help other people um, take advantage of some of the things that we had learned that have been super helpful and and get a breakthrough for themselves. So we've been working on that. Uh, And then I have five kids, still have five. I haven't added any more. So I feel like that in and of itself is an update. (laughs) Hey, you haven't. I mean, it's just like, I here's okay. Tell me what your thoughts on this are, because I think that we have birthday parties all wrong. I think the parents should be celebrated on the birthday. Uh Like we're the ones that like kept this child alive and fed them and clothed them and housed them. 100%. What, like you, what have you done to earn? Um, (laughs) Well, I don't really, Molly, I'm really not a birthday party queen. I'm always like, oh shoot, it's somebody else's birthday. Yeah, I know. know, We got to throw something together. And I have a huge family, four younger sisters. And so just our family alone, like if we just had everybody over, you know, for pizza and ice cream and cake or something, that's like 22 people at this point. So, the, yeah. I mean, the good news is we do have a built-in party, you yeah. know, like without a lot of effort, as long as you serve some food and something with carbohydrates, like yeah. they're there in, they're, in it's a, party. Know, a couple hours. So yeah. we got that. But yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. I like this plan. I think you need to flesh this out. Even yeah, I'm, d- I'm just saying, I think maybe we need to somehow start a cultural trend. Is yes, parents, like, I love it. Oh, man. I, well, it's funny. I tell all my friends who like are first time parents, I'm like that first birthday, like that's that first birthday is for you, mama. Yeah. Like, oh, that, Yes. You pick the theme, you mm-hmm. pick all of it. And I believe your favorite foods should be served. I believe. Yeah, they're not going to eat it anyway. Right, right. <laughs> I will never forget. So my sister is a baker. She owns a small little bakery Ooh. in um, small town, North Carolina. And if you're in Jamestown, North Carolina area, you stop by Cakes mm. by Bees Blue House Bakery. It's this cute little bakery in this little blue house. 
But my nephew, when his first birthday, you know, she was so excited. She's going to make him his birthday cake. She's a baker. This is what she does. And then she makes him the smash cake, you know, for him to uh, right. Eat. We put it right. in front of him and he screams <gasps> bloody murder. Just it was not going to do the cake. And she was like, what do I do? I'm a baker and my son is terrified of cakes. Um, he has come yeah, around. This is a problem. Since then, but it was really funny at the time. I just I couldn't help but oh. laugh. And I was like, maybe I'm a terrible person, but I find this really funny. <laughs> anyway, OK, moving on. So we're talking about mindset today. And yes. I think this is the perfect conversation to really kick off this New year, even though we don't know what year it is. Um, <laughs> but some year, some year, it's some, some <laughs> It's some year. And because again, I just, I think it is a fascinating uh, look at how our mindset really does shape so many things in our lives. And, and I would be really interested to kind of dive into this with you mm-hmm. some, we can do this right off the bat if you want, or we can do it a little later, but how we separate how sort of the... I don't know how else to call it other than this. So forgive me if I'm using the wrong term, but like kind of the new agey movement has hijacked this in a lot of ways. And they're like manifest things into your life. And (laughs) I wish that worked. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right. So like, (laughs) oh, well, if you just it's all in the power of thinking and yada, yada, yada. Like I I wrestle with that. And so I would love let's just let's rip the bandaid off. We're just going to get right into that is how do you differentiate between the two yeah. of like your, the importance of your mindset and the science behind that mm-hmm. other than, or different, different than yeah. manifesting and all that. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, if only that worked, that'd be awesome because I, I can tell already you and I would be manifesting birthday parties. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like Pinterest level birthday parties just right now would be incredible. Um, all joking aside, I think the problem with, I would call that woo-woo, you know, yeah. like that, that's what I, <laughs> that's what my husband and I call it, you know, like that woo-woo stuff. I think the the woo-woo version, unfortunately, there are some little pieces of, of truth in it, you know, or some evidence-based pieces, but by and large, it can be very magical thinking. Yeah. One of the things that I also really don't like about it, um, and, you know, this is probably not something I would say if I were having a conversation with someone not from a faith-based perspective, but it kind of puts all the responsibility on you. And sort of like if some tragedy happened in your life, then, you know, you get cancer or one of your children passes away. So just whatever the most horrible thing you can imagine, it's like somehow you attracted that or somehow that was on you. And I just, that doesn't work with my understanding of suffering and how God works. And I just, I can't with that. So that's my, that was my soapbox moment, but I I I just feel like, um, it can actually become, very defeating in a way, like there's a fatalism to it. That's just doesn't work for me. So what we've done that is on the flip side of that, and actually partly inspired by this is we said, okay, let's go to the research and let's see what the research says about how our brains are wired and how they help us or hurt us with regard to performance. Um, You know, when we think about how we want to show up, because I think we've all experienced this. It's like, there's something that you want. Maybe it's the beginning of the year. So maybe you're thinking about, some goal that you have for your health or your finances or something you want to do with your family or uh, maybe business you want to start. There's something between where you are and where you want to be that is like a friction point. You know, maybe you've set that goal before, maybe you've wanted that thing for a long time and you can't figure out why, no matter how hard you try and how significant your commitment is and whatever else, you're just not able to close the gap. And, Mm -hmm. and so what's the reason for that? And as we've dug into the science, what we've realized is there's a powerful, thing in play here called our brain that it really is is engineered and this is a good thing to keep us safe you know our brain is engineered to keep us safe and to help us make sense of what we experience in our life right. and and especially as we experience things that are negative like maybe you tried to do something let's say you started um, a business in the past and it didn't work out you know and you you know you've at some point just called it quits and and moved on you're going to then your brain's like, okay, that was dangerous. That was really difficult to get through. She felt really badly about herself. Let's don't do that again. That's not a good thing to do. And so your brain, in an effort to try to be helpful, 
tries to concoct these stories about life and why things work the way they are and what's possible and what you should and shouldn't do and should and shouldn't avoid. And the problem is those are not always aligned with what we actually want in our life. And and the worst part about it is that we're unconscious of the stories we're telling ourselves. We think that the stuff that's rattling around in our brain is the same thing as the facts. And it's actually not. It's like there are things that happen um, in our world, you know, facts that could be boringly written down on a police report or something. You know, she woke up at 6 a.m. She made oatmeal for the kids. Uh, Then, you know, she got everybody off to school and started her day. Those are those are non-emotional facts. And then there's the story that our brain puts on to make meaning about that. And that's really where um, we find ourselves in a situation where that story either helps propel us toward the kind of actions that are going to lead to the life that we want or not. And, you know, we have an action bias in our culture where we just go straight to the actions and we don't realize what's driving our behavior that's sometimes keeping us from what we want. Mm, Man, there is so, that is so rich and there's so much to unpack there. I, well, I I would say that this is something that I um, have really been, like I said, I've been fascinated by it over the years and I Forgive me, I do not remember where I first initially heard this, but this was where it really began to all click for me and make so many things make sense. And th- kind of that the talking about, and, and I'm sure that this is something that, because I haven't had a chance to finish the book yet, but I listened to, and I want to say maybe it was on like Freakonomics or something, like probably like ah. five or six years ago, but it was talking about the study of neural pathways mm-hmm. in our brains. And all about how and the way it was illustrated was your neural pathways are these actual like roads in your brain that when you and the the way it was uh, illustrated was like, think about if you go into the woods or a field mm-hmm. and you're walking through the woods or you're walking through the field, if you walk the same path over and over and over again, the weeds get trampled down, the grass gets trampled down, and it becomes a really clear walking Mm -hmm. trail. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you can see the path. It looks safe. It looks like I can see very clearly which direction I'm supposed to go because I'm going to follow this path that has been cleared. Mm -hmm. Those are your neural pathways of the habits you form, the things you tell yourself, things other people tell you, your skills, um, even like biases, all those kinds of things are just the things that over and over and over again have been done in your brain. And in order to form new neural pathways or to, uh, you know, create a new path in the woods or a new path in the field, you have to veer off. And then guess what you have to do? You have to do that over and over and over again until you create a new neural pathway. And so that started me down this rabbit hole of this is fascinating. I'm a Mm. visual person. I could visually see and understand that. And so I'm curious, like in your research and as you and your dad were, were writing this book, what were some of the things that you saw or learned that play into that, um, you know, retelling of the same thing over and over again? Or yeah. how does that tend to play out in our lives? Yeah. Well, it's such a great question. And I, you know, I think that our brains is first thing to know, our brains really like comfortable things and predictable things. In fact, our brain is actually one of its primary jobs is to predict for us. Mm. So part of how it keeps us safe is it kind of looks ahead and it says, okay, what about this situation is kind of like this other thing that happened and how do I need to direct her to respond so that she doesn't get herself in trouble? You know, the problem is it's not that precise. Mm. And so, So it's sort of like it thinks it's similar, but it may not be, or you may be different as a person, even if the the circumstances are similar. And so that's where we get ourselves into trouble. And there's just this default of, yeah, let's just stick with the well-worn path. I mean, when you're talking and describing that field, you know, walking through it, I can see the grass kind of smushed down by the footprints in my mind. And that's exactly how our brains are. You know, I think maybe the the easiest way to get into this is to tell a little bit of my own story. And this is kind of one of the central stories in the book which is a pretty vulnerable thing to tell. I've told it in a couple of situations before, but never in a book that, you know, thousands of people are going to read. But as I was on this journey to becoming the CEO of our company leading up to that for several years, you know, it started to become clear as as it would that speaking was going to be necessary. I was going to need to speak to my team. I was going to need to speak to the media. I was going to need to speak, you know, publicly in a variety of different situations. And 
what nobody knew except my husband, Joel, including my dad and my business partner, kind of a problem, um, is that I had a debilitating fear of public speaking. Hmm. When I was about um, 16 years old, I was uh, a junior in high school at that point, I think, uh, junior, senior in high school. And I had a friend who was giving a presentation and ran out in the middle of her presentation because she was so overwhelmed with anxiety, sobbing in the bathroom, you know, just like ran, like it, it was something out of a movie, you know, like she just ran out kind of all in a huff. I went and comforted her in the bathroom. And somewhere along the line, my brain equated, you never want this to happen to you. I, you know, I hate the idea of being humiliated in public. Um, and so you need to avoid speaking at all costs because mm. you could lose control of your body like she did. Um, and that just got lodged in me, in my brain, you know, as like danger, danger, danger. And so I went, you know, through the rest of high school, I think I actually did give a speech at some point um, at commencement. And then in my young adult years, I, I just got more and more anxious to the point that in my small group, I couldn't even read the Bible allowed, like, mm. like a couple of verses, you know, I go around and like everybody reads a little bit. I couldn't even do that with being, without being near panic attack, paralyzed by mm. fear. The sound of my own voice felt dangerous to me. I mean, that, mm. wow. You know, it's a, that's a problem. So as I was going on in my career and, you know, I, I carefully avoided all those opportunities that would cause me professionally to need to speak. But I finally fast forward, found myself in a situation where I knew it was make or break. I mean, I was either going to not go on this path that my dad and I had figured out in terms of succession and moving into the CEO role eventually, or I was going to have to look this thing head on and deal with it. And really, this is this is a great illustration of what we have, what we talk about in the book, this idea of becoming aware, identifying that story that I was telling myself, which is, you know, we talk in the book about this idea of a narrator, you know, everybody has this narrator that's basically, right. uh, you know, explaining everything that's happening as we, as we go in life and then interrogating that is the next step. And so I really had to choose, okay, am I going to do this? And the catalytic moment <laughs> was my team. It's funny to think about now my team came, you can remember, they have no idea that I have this fear yeah. We're putting on a live event. And they said, hey, Megan, uh, I just come back from a sabbatical. You know, great news. We're going to do this big live event. Awesome. That sounds great. Um, yeah, we would like for you to keynote. Okay. I'm thinking, oh, shoot. You know, it's about to get real. Yeah. Uh, that would be 800 people that you'll be speaking in front of. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, 800 Oof. people. Like, I don't want to read the Bible out loud in front of anybody, you yeah. know? And so I, I said, yes, because yes was the only answer that was the right answer. I wasn't, I knew enough to know I didn't want to sacrifice my whole career. And so I ended up engaging an anxiety coach, a speech coach, my primary care physician to get some anxiety medicine. I mean, I did everything under the sun that I could think of for six weeks leading up to that speech. And I mean, Molly, it felt like hand-to-hand -hand combat mm. because- you know, I, I was committed. I knew it would be embarrassing if I didn't do it. Um, and so I, I knew that I was going to have to go to battle interrogating these stories that said, if you get up in front of people, you're going to lose control of your body. You're going to be humiliated. You're going to run out like your friend did in high school, you know, disgraced. People are going to really see you and they're going to have expectations of you. You know, I mm. think a lot of us have a fear of that. And through that process, I was able to imagine, this is our last step in the book. I was able to imagine something better, a better story. And I literally wrote it on a legal pad. Like it was the day of the speech and I was giving the speech. And what was that like in the way I wanted to show up? And again, this is not woo woo. This is just like, I'm giving my brain a better story. I'm cutting a new path through that field. And, you know, by the time I got to giving that speech and I got up on the stage in front of those 800 people, it was a total blast. Mm. I loved it. All those years I had been terrified and couldn't get a breakthrough on that until I recognized the story I was telling and realized I had power to change it. And it was hugely transformational for my life. Oh, I love that story. And I, I identify with that so much because there have been times where I have had something that is on the horizon or maybe an opportunity that's come out. And, and, and I think so many people can relate to that where maybe there's this thing that you're like, oh, I've kind of always wanted to do that, but I can't for whatever reason that you have, yep. you know, and, and there's the story. There's the, the story why is the story. The yeah. why is the story. 
And mm-hmm. um, and I and honestly, like to be real vulnerable, I, I kind of feel like that right now with mm-hmm. writing my book um, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, because I as an Enneagram too, uh, you know, one of my biggest fears is people not liking me. Right. <laughs> Just being honest, I'm a recovering right. people pleaser. It is obviously I'm in a healthy uh, in a healthy two-ness now, but yeah. it's still there. It's not like it's something that goes away. But I have really struggled as I've written this going, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if this is going to be good. I think as soon as I turn my manuscript in, Thomas Nelson is going to be like, oh, we need to, we need you to pay back your advance because <laughs> we can't publish this because it's terrible. Like, that's the thing that I am sure. like finding myself fighting. And then I'm like, okay, well, okay, then maybe, maybe the book does come out. And then people pick it up and they go, wow, like this is really bad. (laughs) So it's so I've had to fight against that really frequently. And I have thankfully talked to a lot of friends who have written books and they're like, I feel that way with every book I write. Right. That's so normal. Super. Well, like in my speaking, I didn't know everybody feels nervous before they speak. Yeah. I thought there was just something wrong with me. So I'm an Enneagram four. So like the something's wrong with me is like my default mode. (laughs) Oh, of course, something's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, oh, you know, the people that do this professionally, that's just easy. You yeah. know, they they just love it. They've always been good at it. No, it's a skill. And actually, adrenaline is your friend. It makes you better. Yeah. You know, I mean, that I've learned now. Oh, I always feel this little kind of rush of adrenaline and, and nervousness. And that helps me think better. I had to really interrogate that story because part of, you know, story within a story was anxiety means you're not going to do well. Mm. And in reality, you know, the, that's just my body getting ready to perform at its best. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole new way to look at it. That's, that's that imagine part. And just like in your situation, you know, you have to decide, okay, well, what else could it mean that you, that you have those concerns? I mean, in your case, you know, I know you a little bit probably means you really care about your audience. Mm -hmm. You really care about relating to them and connecting to them and, um, helping them to feel seen in your story. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to make you produce a fabulous book. Yeah. I, I, that is absolutely true. And then I also care very deeply. And it's funny because I interviewed, um, which I don't know if his interview is going to air before or after this. So y'all listening, forgive me, but it's already done. So, um, but I interviewed a guy by the name of Jesse Eubanks, who mm. is awesome, but he just wrote a book about how we re- it's a it's an enneagram book but it's all about how we relate to each other Ooh. and how we relate to god through oh, wow. the enneagram and it was something i had never considered before about how like you and i would be interested to, to hear like knowing yes. your fourness like in how i relate to god is i very often have to um and i don't think about this consciously but it's mm-hmm. like in my prayers that are between me and god like nobody right. else is hearing these prayers mm-hmm. i often will second guess mm-hmm. have i prayed for enough other people am i being selfish mm-hmm. in my prayer right now mm-hmm. am i are my prayers like am mm-hmm. i doing this right when mm-hmm. like that is completely not the mindset or attitude I need to have, but that is exactly how Enneagram twos are. It's like, have I thought about everybody else first before I've prayed for myself? Or, mm. you know, that's just unconsciously like the default I have. And so I think the other part of it too is yes, I really care about my audience and the, but I also really care that I steward God's peace in this well yeah. because I, wow. and I think that that's a, that's an important step for maturity for all of us is that anything God mm-hmm. gives us to steward over, you know, we, we need to do well with that and, and understanding that anything we are stewarding, we don't own. So, you know, when, when we hand it back, we, we give it back at the end of our lives and we say, Hey God, like, here's what you gave me and here's how I stewarded it. Did, did I do that? Well, I think that's a, that's a healthy, good question to ask. But then also on the flip side, you get into this mindset of like, okay, well, is my overthinking that, then just inhibiting me from actually just doing the thing that God has called me to do. Right. That's such a great insight. I totally agree with that and relate to it. So what when we for anybody listening, like 
you probably, as you were listening to Megan tell her story and, and maybe even me share a little bit of my story, maybe there's the thing that came to mind for you. And maybe it's not public speaking. Maybe it's not writing a book, but maybe it's changing careers. Maybe it is, if you're a mom, maybe it's choosing to stay home with your kids. Maybe it's choosing to homeschool. Maybe it's choosing to move, like do a big move or to try something uh, new. You know, there are so many different things that we could be come to mind when, when we think about that thing that maybe we're afraid or we've we've got this story or narrative that says I can't or whatever for whatever reason. So we identify what that thing is. We identify what is the story, the why behind it yep. and what we're telling ourselves. What do we do from there? Yeah. So then we really go on to the second step, which is to interrogate it. <laughs> when I say interrogate, I think in my mind of, you know, like those old kind of crime movies with like the light bulb. I just got like a, a, <laughs> yeah. like a law and order SVU. Very, very law and order. Where yeah. is Stabler? I need yeah. Stabler, Megan. <laughs> is Elliot Stabler going to be a yeah. part of this? Because <laughs> if he's not, exactly. I don't want a piece of it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, that's what you got to do with your own stories. You yeah. know, I think what, why this is important is because the stories, let's say you were talking about um, becoming a stay-at-home mom and maybe you've had a career up to that point and you're you're going to switch and this is going to become your career. And your story is, well, I could never do that because I would be wasting you know, my parents' investment of me mm-hmm. and all those years of college and everything I've accomplished in my career. And so, you know, not to mention people's respect of me. And that feels really true because you can imagine if they thought that, ooh, that's a blow. And so I think the reason interrogation is important is because we have to dislodge the facts from what we're saying about the facts, that that narrative that gets wrapped around it and kind of gets its little tentacles in there. And we st- have to start asking, is that really true? Hmm. Is there anything I know that would be contradictory to that? Do I have any other examples of other people who've done this and maybe uh, made a huge impact in their family because they were able to devote their full attention to their family Um, or, you know, those kinds of things. And you start just trying to loosen it up. And we go through a lot in the book in detail about different strategies that you can use for this. Um, But the the idea is you want to shake loose the, the narrative from the facts, because then you have some space and you can start to think about what else might be true. Mm-hmm. What else might I be able to intentionally believe about this situation that would get me closer where I want to go? And the reason that matters is because when we have a story like, you know, well, I can never be a stay-at-home mom because, you know, people wouldn't respect me. I mean, after all, I have this graduate degree and my parents really worked hard and sacrificed so I could go to college and graduate school and all of that. Um, the problem is our brain answers the questions that we give it to answer. And if we give it questions or, or it looks for confirmation bias in addition to that. And so if we give it a statement like that, it's going to be like, yeah, that's really true. You know, just think about this over here. Just think about all those vacations your your mom wanted to take that she wasn't able to take because they were too busy paying for your college. You know, if instead we said something like, okay, how could I become a stay-at-home mom and that actually be the most honoring thing that I could do with my parents' investment in my education all those years? Well, now our brain is like going to work to answer that question. And it's looking around, it's looking under the rocks, you know, all over the place to try to find evidence that supports that question. And so that's how you start to get to a new story. You know, that everything in your life, this might could be your new story. Everything in my life, including my education up to this point has prepared me to pour my life in these kids and raise the next generation of leaders. Right. Well, that all of a sudden doesn't sound like settling. That all of a sudden feels like the most important thing you could do. And I'm not, of course, advocating for being a stay-at-home mom or not, you know, like that's everybody's personal choice. Um, But I'm just saying that that story all of a sudden now it has some teeth in it that you can start to to dig into. And, and then your brain goes to look for how can we make that possible? How can we clear the path for that? And that's where it gets exciting because so often 
we start with a problem, like maybe you have a health goal that you just have not been able to get a breakthrough on. And you have some story around that that's really disempowering. You're not even aware of it because this is just what our brain does. You know, right. we haven't interrogated it. The problem is there may be all kinds of solutions that could work for you that could be really helpful for you. But as long as you think it's impossible, as long as you believe the story, your brain literally can't see what's right in front of it. You know, it's like, I just got a new car yesterday. I've been waiting on it for a year, finally came in. You know, now I'm like, oh, I see my car everywhere. That's because my brain is looking for that car because all of a sudden it's my reality. The same is true for our brain. When you start getting it going, looking for the right things, it's going to see solutions, even if they were right in front of your face that you never had access to Mm. until you tuned your brain in that direction. Mm, So good. While you're talking, and and I realize that maybe this story is a little bit oversimplistic, so forgive me if it is, but as you're talking, I just, I thought about this story that, so uh, in the process of writing this book, I've been just combing through my mom's journal, like personal journals hmm. and things like that, and- wow uncovered this story that she told. And it's not um, a story that she ori- that originated with her, but she told this story. So forgive me. I don't know the origins of this story, but the, fir- but the time she wrote it down was the late 80s. So it's been around a while. But basically, it's the story of two kids. And one is an optimist and one is a pessimist. Mm-hmm. And the pessimist kid has a room just filled to the brim with toys. And the optimist kid has a room filled to the brim with horse manure. And the first kid goes into the room and he goes into the room and he's just tossing aside these toys left and right. And he finally looks up at a per- at the person that let him in the room and he says, is this all there is? Is this room full of toys? Meanwhile, the second kid, who is the optimist, runs into the other room, grabs a shovel and starts digging through the manure. And when someone asked, what are you doing? He says, oh, well, with all this manure, it means there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) And I love that story so much because it's this idea of like the point of the story being is valuing what you have, not what is gone or what you never got. Um, and, And also this idea of choosing to see what's in front of you. And again, I realize that it maybe it is overly simplistic and and you know optimism and pessimism, but I think there is a lesson there of looking at what's in front of you and seeing uh you know looking to see through the manure. And I think the other thing that she'd said was like um this idea of of God, you know, if there's a pile of manure in the, we're talking about a lot of poop today. So you're I love welcome. This. You're it's, welcome. It's very agricultural. I just, you know, this is my life now. It's just, there's yeah. just various right. forms of manure all surrounding <laughs> me. Um, but, you know, there's a pile of manure in the middle of the road, knowing that God is going to do one of three things. He's either going to help you, uh, give you a map to go around it, give you the strength to plow through it or put a spring in your step to leap over it. And it's, oh. you know, and just, uh, this is the wisdom of my mother, everyone. She talked a lot about poop and, uh, <laughs> she was a nurse. So I feel like nurses are just like, it goes right on. Yeah. It's got like nurses and farmers are just surrounded uh-huh. by feces. Um, <laughs> Did you know that this is what we were going to talk about, Megan? Um, is that the first time you've ever said that word on your podcast? I, I think probably, curious. probably. Okay. You're right. you're welcome. We're, we keep special. It, we keep it classy here. Um, but the, all the point of it being is that there really is like well, whatever we are faced with, or that you know, if that if the manure represents like the negative narratives we have told ourselves over yeah. the years, how do we begin to interrogate and to dig? out of that and either map around it, you know, plow through it or spring over it. Well, I, first of all, I I absolutely love that story. I've heard a version of that before, and it's so <laughs> funny. And I I grew up riding horses, actually, so that deeply resonates with me. I, too, have spent a lot of time with horses and their manure over the years. Um, but, you know, I think, what it, I think what it illustrates is that how you decide to see a situation impacts what you find. And I don't mean this like, again, this is not magical thinking. This is really rooted in the science. This is what we know from the research. Right. But um, we have way more agency than we think. Right. And I think that uh, part of why my dad and I wanted to write this book, Mind Your Mindset, is because I think we've been through a season uh, over the last several years where we felt like a lot of things were out of our control. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but 
things I never even thought about worrying about were suddenly right. outside my control, yep. you know, um, whether or not I could, uh, you know, leave and go to the store or whatever, like when we were in lockdown, you know, that that was just so unprecedented in our living memory in so many ways. And so what we love about this topic is there is an area that you have control and influence over in your life. And that is the stories that you tell. You cannot control that this, the, the negative stories yeah. pop in your brain. That is, that's a fool's errand. It's never going to work. This right. is just your brain doing what it does, trying to help you out. So there's no, no sense in trying to control that. But what you can do is cultivate awareness and really get good at identifying these stories that you've right. told. And oftentimes, and we know this as, as Christians, oftentimes these stories get lodged in the context of trauma, mm-hmm. pain. And I'm not talking, I'm not a therapist. So, you know, nothing I say is, is coming from that professional perspective. Perspective. But just we know this intuitively, you know, wounding, pain, loss, um, hurt, trauma, like so often the things that feel the truest and the most powerful in our lives are these narratives that come from those places. And so there's a real freedom in realizing oh, I don't have to believe that. I can actually interrogate that thing, can go through some steps that we talk about in the book and shake that thing loose. And then I can decide what I'm going to think and I can practice that and it can become equally true, more true to me than um, this other subjective interpretation that has, has burdened me all these years. And I think freedom and agency and a sense of control over your life is on the other side. And that's what I love the most about this. So good. Yes. And I love that you use that word agency because, um, so one of my besties, my, my best friend, uh, Sharon Hottie Miller, who just came out with a book back in August called the cost of control, um, Mm. talks about this whole idea of how, like why we, we love why we try to control things in our lives and the different areas of like the, the why, the how, the what we try to control. Um, and so she talked about how God, all the way back in Genesis 3, you know, God doesn't give us control over our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at Adam and Eve, they don't, they're not in control, but they're also not puppets. Um, yes. But God gives them agency. And mm-hmm. that's what God gives us. And there's a difference between having control or trying to control in our some something in our life that we never were intended to have control over. But we we do have agency, we are able to right. keep order of things. And and the importance of that distinction and differentiation. Well, I'm curious, as you were doing the research for this book, and again, there's so much of the the faith and science piece mm-hmm. of this that are connected. Um, was there something in particular to you that was really uh, just like, uh, like a, oh my goodness, that is amazing. Look at God. He's so cool moment. Or like just the way that God designed our brains. Or is there anything that was just that, that mind blown, no pun intended moment? I like that pun. That was I know. Well, hey, well played there. You know? Yeah, that was good. You know, I think this is sort of a summary of a lot of things, but I, I think this will be hopeful to your listeners as it was for me. Um, I think the idea that our brains can change, mm-hmm. you know, as, as someone who um, has a very loud narrator <laughs> in my own head, who has really run the show. Do, have you ever read your kids that book? Don't let the pigeon drive the bus. My kids love that book. I do too. It's my so too. funny. And, that is so funny. And it's a great metaphor because in this book, you know, it's all about this little pigeon that wants to drive a school bus. And the real bus driver is like, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Yes. You know, you're going to watch this pigeon for me, but don't let the pigeon drive the bus. And I think as somebody who had her pigeon driving the bus for a lot of years, it's very hopeful to realize our brains, God made our brains plastic. Our brains do not get set in stone. And there's hope for changing our stories and then for changing the outcomes of our lives, our, you know, when we're talking to business people, our results, you know, when we change those stories and when we become aware of them, you know, I I don't know if we talked about this the last time I was on, I bet we did. Um, But, you know, I have uh, five kids, three of whom are adopted and my middle two boys um, are from Uganda and they were adopted in 2011 at age three and age 14 months. And they have an incredible story of trauma. I mean, no children that are available for adoption have come by that without just massive trauma. And they have a particularly individually hard stories. And 
one of the things that has been so helpful for them is the work that we have done with our attachment therapist, which is all interestingly narrative-based work. Hmm. And what has happened and kind of why I referenced this earlier about these stories get lodged in trauma, you know, they, when, when things happen to you, when you're a child, you, you just try to make sense of it the best you can. You don't have the benefit of being an adult. If you didn't have adults in your life that could help with that, then you just, you know, you do the best you can. And sometimes the things that you think about yourself and your worth and your value you as a result of choices other people made are really destructive. And what I've learned over time, I've watched the therapist help them to become aware, identify these stories that they have believed about themselves and are, and are motivating and propelling their behavior in the present. And then to interrogate those. And she does it in a very concrete way where we're looking up facts on the internet about this thing. We're asking relatives about that. Did it really happen like that? You know, we're really shaking it loose. And then we're coming up with what are they going to believe now? now about themselves and to see in their life this has happened over you know 12 years to see the freedom that's on the other side i mean as a parent the fact that the brains that they came to us with and all the injury that they had suffered mm. is not the end of the story and you know maybe that's not your story maybe you don't have trauma like they do i hope that that's true for you because it, it's a difficult thing but we all have something we all have something that feels like it's stuck in us yeah. um, or that we can't quite break through and the great news is it's not, there is a path out of that. And that's, that's what gets me excited about the topic of this book. Oh, so good. I just love that. This is this, this, what, what God just put on your heart to put it out in the world and how he used your own story, uh, Mm -hmm. to tell this because that, that that's so powerful and that's right. And our brains can change. Um, I'm evidence of that. I, I, that is, that is my story. Um, and I didn't, I didn't grow up a Christian. Like I was very, uh, there was a period in my life where I was very anti-church and very anti-God and, and very frustrated with religion and all those kinds of things. And, um, and, and I had, I, I struggled with narratives that I had told myself over and over again, and we all fight this. We all deal with this. Um, and when it, whether it comes to, you know, our, like you'd said at the beginning, you know, our, whether it's our, our body image or, or our career choices or whether or not, you know, we can be in a stable relationship. I mean, there's a million different things. So many, so many, it's, it's the human condition. Um, (laughs) it really is, but it, it really does help to begin to, um, to name it and claim it. It's that name it and claim it, like understanding that there is power in naming. There is power in really identifying, uh, areas in which we are stuck and how we then begin to actually get Mm -hmm. out of, get out of those. How do we begin to form new neural pathways? And eventually those old pathways, uh, don't get walked on anymore. And then they get overgrown and we, you know, we, we, we begin to, um, I mean, that's the whole, like what this say, say it's like 21 days to form a habit. And there's a reason behind that is repetition over and over and over again. Okay, so before we kind of begin to wrap up here, which I just have 700 million more questions I would love to ask you. um, What is your prayer for this book and how it can impact people, especially kind of like what what you alluded to is we are in a really unique moment in our lives and we're living through a really unique moment. Um, in fact, uh, I, I did another interview this morning that won't air for a couple of weeks after your episode airs, um, with a woman who, um, her name was Inez Rubistello and she worked, um, in the restaurant windows on the world, which was the very, wow. the restaurant, at the very top of the world trade center. Right. And she happened to be in North Carolina for her sister's wedding on September mm. 11th. 2001. And so she was not there that day, even though she should have been. And so we kind of talked about what that was like to experience that. And then the aftermath of that as somebody, you know, who worked in that building on that top floor. And, and we talked about, you know, just the way the, the mindset of when you're in the moment realizing I am living in a time that like life is not going to look the same after this. Mm-hmm. And like our lives changed after September 11th. I mean, just much like the, you know, the assassination of JFK and, uh, you know, World War II and Vietnam and all those kinds of things. Like they, those were transcendent moments in history. And while the pandemic was certainly <laughs> very different um, in a lot of ways, like it's very similar in that you're living through a time that the world will never look the same 
So I, I preface all of that with what is your prayer for this book and the impact it could have on people as we sort of begin to transition into this to borrow the the phrase I feel like it's been used a million times is this quote unquote post pandemic world of what does this, yeah. what does that look like? Um, thank you for that question. I, I love that. And I love having an opportunity to answer it. You know, I, I think what my prayer is for this book is that it would be a bridge from a place of uh, people feeling stuck or powerless in some way, or, wanting something really important in their life, maybe that they feel that God's called them to, but not quite sure how to get over that bridge, that this would be a bridge to freedom, that it would be a bridge to agency, and that it would be a bridge for hope for people. Because uh, I think that's what we need. You know, I think about my own story, the play, the times when I have felt like that, the areas that I felt like that. I think about the work that I do as a coach with um, business leaders and business owners and that's what we all want, you know? And I, I think that that's really possible. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my kids' lives. I've seen it in our clients' lives. And I just want that for people. I want them to get to feel free to be who God made them to be. And I know that this side of heaven, that's not all going to happen and that's okay. But if I can contribute to some of that happening um, and help give people some of a path toward that, that's all I could ask for. Mm. So good. So, so good. Um, man, I love this. Megan, uh, you are just a, a joy and a delight. Um, for the listeners, I will have Megan's info as always on uh, in the show notes. And I'll have the link to where you can get Mind Your Mindset, which comes out this month. And congratulations on birthing another beautiful book, baby. And Thank you so, much. Um, so it comes out later this month. So you can pre-order it right now. Um, yes. All right. Well, now and Molly, can I yes. say? one thing. Um, there are some really exciting special bonuses that we have that Ooh. are available if you pre-order, including admission to our live virtual event with my dad and me talking all about this. And of course, um, which is a great way to go through the material and go deeper in the material. All of that is totally free. So I just don't want anybody to miss. Obviously, you can buy the book where, um, you know, you like to buy books. I'm an Amazon Barnes and Noble person myself, but I just want you guys to make sure that you claim your bonuses because they're really awesome. We spent a lot of time thinking about this as a team and enjoy them. Yes, 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 yes. I love a good pre-order. And and I now understand the importance and value of pre-ordering. So yeah, anytime yes. somebody I know is coming out with a book, I immediately pre-order it because yes, and for those too. that are curious, it doesn't you don't pay for it until it ships. Right. So if you're wondering like, well, I you know, I'm like I've over like you don't pay, pay for it till it ships. Yes. So when it ships, right. then you pay for it. But um, just getting that pre-order, it tells Amazon, tells Barnes and Noble, tells Target, wherever yes. um, that people want that book. So um, that's right. And then they order enough so that everybody can get them. That is right. And Otherwise, they run out and then people get frustrated, which we yeah, don't want. We don't so. want that. So Megan, we're transition just a little bit here yeah. and ask a couple of fun questions. And the first question is, what is the last thing that made you laugh? Well, one of the greatest blessings of my life has been my three-year-old daughter, Naomi. And uh, we adopted her when she was really premature. She was uh, born at 27 weeks, one pound and two ounces. And she's now three and she has just grown in amazing ways, but she, she is hilarious and she cracks me up. So whatever my older kids say, who are much older than her, she picks up and she heard them saying, heck, you know, like what the heck? Well, she started saying over and over again, oh my heck. Oh my heck. <laughs> like all the time, like, like completely over the top, not appropriate, like church doesn't matter. You know, she is just, Oh my heck. And my husband are like, thank God it wasn't worse. We I feel know. like we have one because, and she just cracks us up. It's something like that all the time with her. And it's usually something she's parroting from the older kids. That is hysterical. <laughs> I love kids, man. Kids are so funny. They're so pure and hilarious. Oh, I love it. Cause it's not like they're trying to be funny. Like, no. it's not like they know they're just they're just funny. God, so funny. God is so fun with kids. Um, can I share with you the thing that yes. has made me laugh lately? Um, I'm going to play it because it's, it's, it's auditory. Okay. Um, so it's, I've watched this. I want to just tell you all, I've watched this an ungodly amount of times and I have, <laughs> I laugh every time. Okay. So the context is it is a video of a, 
like an elementary school band concert. Okay. Oh gosh. So here, here we go. I'm going to play it for you. Hurts. have watched that a hundred times and it is still as <laughs> oh that's fabulous okay have you seen the video i just thought of this of the the judge and the attorneys getting ready to do a court case on zoom and the attorney has a cat filter yes on and not figure out how to turn off y'all google this and you will pee your pants it is so funny oh my gosh i just died died it is truly the greatest thing it's I, uh, I love it so much. I, I, I kid you not. I, the first time I, I was not prepared. Like I just, I was, no. you're just like, no. oh, this is jingle bells. And then it just, <laughs> and <laughs> you just like picture the parents sitting oh. there. And if you are a parent, you have been to that concert you've been at least that. once. I mean, you d- you've done it. I was saying to a friend um, who had had to go to her kids um, band concert and she was like, it was about that bad. Um, and she was like, I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, I just, again, kids and, and kids, there's something about the chorus concerts, the band concerts of the holiday season. It is the pure, it's so pure and precious. And it just, I and love awful. it. And awful. And awful. And wonderful all at the same time. Oh it's just, gosh. oh, it's so good. Anyway, so that is the thing that has made me laugh a lot lately. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. So you're welcome, everyone. Um, Because I know y'all listened to it and laughed because you've been there. Good so enough. anyway, okay. My second question is a little bit of a, a shift from that. And that is, what is the last thing that made you cry? And mm. I say this caveat of, it could be cry laughing. It could be happy tears or it could be you know just the thing that really touched you or or was sad well I actually had several things pop into my mind but my uh grandparents who are still living they're almost 90 Mm. my um parents have been working to move them into assisted living lately they got COVID um really badly ended up in the hospital twice in the last month and my grandmother's memory is really going Mm. and COVID made it so much worse and it's just you know, she was like 45 years old when I was born. So she's always been kind of a young grandmother and kind of eternally young in my mind until all of a sudden she really wasn't. And I had to, you know, help her do some personal stuff the other day that was just beyond the norm. And it was hard, you know, it's, it's hard to see people you love deteriorate and, um, and realize they're just, you know, they're not going to be with you probably a whole lot longer. So that was it for me, Mm, man. Uh, yeah, that the beauty and the pain of the reality of life is understanding that, you know, you're born and you die. Um, And then there's a whole lot that happens in between. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful and hard. And, uh, but yeah, I feel like it's the, in those moments, especially when you have, I feel like that moment you had with your grandmother while it was hard, was also really holy and sacred. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so, because I've, I've been there and that's why I say that I say that with the knowledge of somebody who has been there in those moments of of having a really vulnerable moment, Mm -hmm. um, with somebody and, uh, yeah, man, mm, that was really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Um, and then my last question is how do you choose joy? Yeah. You know, Joel, my husband and I were talking about this the other night. So as we're recording this, it's Advent. You know, in fact, this week is the week of joy in Advent. It's yeah. like the theme, you know, for the week. And we were just talking about, we want to be really intentional about that. And, you know, I think I started Advent thinking, I need to plan all these things to intentionally engage joy. Because I feel like we've been in a season of not a lot of joy, you know, like all through, there's so many things we couldn't do during uh, the pandemic and, you know, thereafter. And I, and so I really wanted to be intentional. And what I've learned is that being intentional about experiencing joy happens in the little moments. It doesn't happen in the big special things that you do. I mean, that's, th- those are, can be joyful and are great, but it's really choosing when I look at my children, instead of being annoyed, like every day when my three-year-old wants to help cook dinner, which she does, she always, you know, asks to get the stool up at the, the counter and she, 
She wants to mix everything. I mean, she is like, she, she has like some kind of cooking radar. She knows like it is time is go time. Like, where's, where am I? Where's my stool? Let's get up here. And, you know, I could choose to be annoyed by that because I cannot cook as fast or as neatly, uh, you know, when, when she is helping in air quotes, you know, me, but what I've decided is, you know, is my last child. I'm like, I, I have a choice to make here. I can choose to see this as precious. And this is our special thing that she's going to remember her whole life. And like, we have little aprons and, you know, it's a whole oh. thing. Or I can I can be annoyed and I can try to make sure she's doing something else or put a show on and believe me, you know, there's plenty of that that happens as well. I'm not, I'm not perfect. But um, just choosing to be present and let yeah. things be a little messy, a little slower than I'd like but a lot more joyful. Mm. Um, Megan, this has been such a gift. Thank you for being here. Thank you for just uh, putting all of uh, what you do out into the world and how you really live a life that is on mission to serve others. And I just am really grateful for that. Molly, I could say the same about you because it's absolutely true. And I really think we're kindred spirits. This has been so much fun. I I feel so grateful for the invitation and for our time together today. I mean, and when you have a show where you do everything from talk about kids band concerts to horse manure, you know that you've really done it all. Molly, feces. Okay, feces. Let's, let's go. When all I the say way. feces, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You know what? I've said way worse in public settings. So I could, that's a story for another day of one of the times I absolutely put my foot in my mouth, but whatever. It's, yeah. I, that'll be there next time. That'll be a next time. Uh, yeah. Thanks for being here. <laughs> this conversation with Megan was so much fun. I could have had her on for another few hours. There were so many moments where I was kind of having those epiphanies and I can really talk all about neuropathways and mindset all day long because I am fascinated about the science behind it and how our brains work and all of that. So, 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 so good. I just think the world of Megan and um, I would love to know what you loved about this conversation. So will you let us know on social media? Find me. I'm at still being Molly or at can I laugh pod wherever you get your social medias and be sure to tune in next week because I have Megan's dad, Michael Hyatt on the show. And we're talking all about goal setting and imagination and the role of imagination in problem solving. And if you feel like maybe you've kind of lost that kid like imagination in your life, this conversation is going to be for you. We're going to talk about how to kind of get unstuck from that, how we surround ourselves with people who can help us in our goal setting. Oh man, we even talk about maybe the the new venture that I've I've started this year is just, you know, I'm, I'm learning a new skill at the age of 37 and I'm cool with it. We talk all about that. So be sure to tune in next week for my conversation with Michael Hyatt. I would love for you to share this episode with a friend, share it on social media, tag us. And if you haven't already head on over to whatever podcast app you're listening to click that subscribe or follow button and be sure to leave a review that helps others to know what the show's about and what they can expect and why you love it gives us a little bit of social cred. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing this show because you make me sound way better than I probably actually am. I'm so grateful for you, the listener, because without you, I would be talking into a microphone to no one. I am so grateful for today. You're amazing. Now, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. 